Hey, welcome to episode nine of the Tunes Podcast. I'm Harold. Again, you could follow us on social media, as always. Uh, Tunes Podcast, T-U-N-E-S slash T-O-O-N-S. Uh, you could follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, you could also listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you listen to your podcasts. So uh, pretty excited to have Brian Winkler in the studio today. What's going on, man? Oh, not a lot. A whole lot, actually. <laughs> I lied. A whole lot. As I say, immediately. <laughs> uh, so Brian and I actually met a little while back. Um, so I'm an ad to OKC, and we were actually able to go uh, on a tour of Robot House Creative, and that was really cool. Um, can you kind of talk about the, uh, you know, kind of the idea and the inspiration behind Ro- Robot House, like how you started that up and everything? Uh, well, long story short, um, I've been fired by some of the best ad agencies in town <laughs> and had to start my own place. Um, and so, yeah, so I started Robot House 14 and a half years ago, uh, and it's me and two uh, two of my buddies uh, slash partners, Brett and Adam, and. Uh, we do branding, we do web, we uh, mostly work with small, medium-sized local business, um, and we just have cool, have fun and work with cool people, and um, the only thing that's in common with all of our clients is that they really care about what they do, and they, and they are really passionate about it, and so we kind of, you know, put their passion into uh, t- kind of telling their story, um, and, uh, uh, and so we work with you know, pizza and beer and, and pharmaceutical research and mineral rights management. And, you know, so kind of a little everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I've worked at big agencies and then there's, it's really great with a lot of people and fun toys and, you know, but, um, you know, with what we do, we get to kind of pick and choose really cool, uh, you know, businesses to work with. And, you know, um, uh, it's, there's a nice freedom in that. And I've been, I've built it, you know, I, used to be able to have to say yes to everything and that's never a good place to be and so now we can say yes to the stuff that's right and then pass on the stuff that's not right and uh and that way we're happier and the clients are happier and and it you know turns into some really really fun really good work yeah that's like that's a good place to be into where you can actually you know feel invested and like you're actually doing the the work that you want to do and especially Mm -hmm. when you're doing client work you like want to make them happy of course but Whenever you're actually doing something you enjoy and you like, you believe in the work. I think it makes it that much, you know, more fulfilling. Yeah. So I definitely get where you're coming from on that. Uh, I love the space too. Uh, we went there and then you did a, uh, you like let a session just kind of your background and everything, and then a little bit about Robot House and uh, the thing that stuck out to me about this the place was uh, the uh, you guys was, like tables like made out of like bowling lanes. It's, like, yeah, so from, cool from sixty six <laughs> bowl the the um, late lamented uh, Route sixty six sixty uh, six bowl uh, when they. Uh, got bought and turned into, I think they're like a Mediter- Mediterranean supermarket or something like that now. But uh, somebody bought up all the, the wood from the lanes and makes tables and stuff out of it. And so our, our landlord, a, a sweet law, the attorneys um, have an even bigger table from 66 bowl oh, wood. Cool. And so he's a buddy of mine. That's how we got the space. Uh, it was custom built for us. And, um, and he knew that I would kill him if he didn't give us a table. Too. So <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a, it's a conversation. Piece. That's cool. Yeah. It's definitely like, I was going to say is like a conversation starter. Cause like, uh, that was one of the things that like stuck to me, stuck out to me, like about the actual space and everything. So, and I liked how open it was and everything, all that good stuff. Um, but it's just funny, like what sticks to you is like, oh, this table's made out of a bowling alley. <laughs> like, I don't know why I remember that, but it was like, well, it was a cool thing. Memorable. Yeah. So, uh, it's interesting the, uh, you know, the more people you meet kind of that do art or illustration, animation around the city, everybody kind of knows each other. And mm-hmm. we talked about this a little bit before was that, you know, Mike Anderson, who was just on the podcast and, uh, 
super talented cat, man. Um, can you talk about maybe some of the projects you've gotten to do with him and working with him and stuff like that? Well, we just did um, a four-pager in a Halloween digital anthology that, as we're recording this, I think it comes out next week, um, uh, called Boo. Uh, that's the name of the anthology. And it's like 64 pages for like two bucks. And we did a four pager called Crudzo the Sewer Clown. Um, because I know he has drawn a lot of like Pennywise and stuff like that. And since it is a big hit, you know, in theaters, um, uh, I thought it'd be fun to do something to kind of play with the idea of the sewer clown. Um, but since my style is goofier comedy and gross stuff sometimes, um, I thought it would be funny to, to just have like a really gross sewer clown. Like, like what would the light, what would the life be like of a clown that lives in the sewer? Um, and when you have four pages to tell a story, you don't, can't really put much in. So I thought, well, his nemesis would be, um, the sewer magician who's mad at him for getting all of the, uh, for stealing all the, uh, uh, birthday parties from all the sewer kids. Okay. Um, so, uh, Scabra Cadabra, the sewer magician, uh, uh, has a battle to the death with Crudzo, the sewer clown. Um, and hilarity ensues. Man, I love so. that concept. That's such an interesting thing. And just thinking about, you know, kind of how, how he works and you guys working together, I could just imagine like how like ridiculous it could get. Oh, just Because yeah. he could do it. And, like if you dream it up, he could like make it happen. Yeah. Too. And he and I have been throwing stuff around for a few years. We kind of we were working on a thing and it just it took so long um, for us to kind of find get to a point with it. And then we just kind of realized it wasn't fully clicking. Um, but we been wanting to work together on stuff and so when this thing you know uh friends of mine are going to be in this anthology as well and when i heard about it i just reached out to him i was like hey because four pages isn't much of a and it's like quicker for me to write four pages than for him to draw four pages but it's not a big time investment you know because he's a busy guy and everything and so it just wound up really being a great uh opportunity for us to finally put something together, start to finish and get it out there. And I, I think he's got huge stuff ahead of him. He's just, he's so crazy talented. I'm yeah. really looking forward to seeing what's up next for him. Yeah. He's a talented guy. Like I said, just, just like so many of those like unsung talents around the city and everything. And, um, I think the testament to you is like your sense of humor. And I think that's very prevalent, like in your work, um, specifically with what we were talking about earlier was the agent G yeah. like concept. Uh, I really like that, and I was lucky enough to get to look at it a little bit before it came out and everything. But one of the first, I, uh, yeah, there you go. Hey, there we go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, can you kind of maybe talk about a little bit the inspiration behind that and where that kind of came from? Yeah. The idea behind that. Uh, well, Agent G, it's it's a it's a book um, uh, I'm self publishing right now. Uh, where it'll debut at Wizard World, uh, Oklahoma City, in a couple of weeks. Um, it was inspired about. Uh, Almost three years ago, uh, I'm an NPR junkie, and NPR had one of their little mini kind of top of the you know hour you know story type short things, and it talked about how Kenny G was who's huge in China um, was in trouble with the Chinese authorities because he had taken like a selfie with some like Tibetan independence protesters, and the Chinese government's all like super sensitive about that kind of stuff. Um, and so he, he had to kind of do some damage control, you know, and, um, uh, an NPR and I, so I heard it, but I'd only heard about half of it. So when I got to work, uh, I went on the website, NPR, you know, and, and checked out the, the story. And in the story, it said, Kenny G comma, the 1980s saxophone superstar. 
And just those words together, I was like the 1980 saxophone superstar. That's, that's like, like, like suddenly just fireworks started kind of hitting my head. Like there's something there, there's something there. Cause that's, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a great way of like describing him, but there's something there. And then just the idea of like Kenny G as a secret agent in the 1980s, I kind of played around with that for a little while um, as for the sort of James Bond, you know, kind of double life sort of thing. But then I realized that like, you know, the sort of like super sexy ladies man wasn't really him. He's not, he's not like the sexy guy. He's not the sex guy. He's the love guy. Right. You know? Um, and since I, I really like kind of finding characters to sort of play against each other, uh, I thought it would be fun for him to be like the love guy and for him to have a partner who's the sex guy. And that has to be Michael Bolton. So another Michael 80s Bolton, icon. Yeah. Michael <laughs> Bolton, Kenny G, 1987, a very specific time before the, the fall of the Berlin Wall. So the Cold War is still in effect. So that way we can have this, these very, when they're kind of like getting into the height of their popularity and they've got the hair and, and, but just these guys, like they've been so uncool for so long that they're cool now, <laughs> yeah. you know, they have, they have lasted and they're in on the joke. And, and so I, that's, I, I've actually become a fan of their music because <laughs> I'm listening to it for inspiration for this. And I just, and, and just this, the dynamic of these two guys, this sort of, you know, buddy cop, you know, dynamic where, you know, G he's, he's, he's like, he's kind of this, you know, Zen master. He's very Asian. He's very, he's, he's like, you know, he's the palm and Bolton's the fist. Like, it's like their music, like, you know, G is very smooth and saxophone and Bolton is just bombastic, you know? And so, so, you know, I'm trying to write it, uh, and I'm, and I'm having so much fun writing Bolton that I, I need to make sure that I get a good balance in there, you know, cause it's agent G is the name of it, but Bolton's kind of the, you know, um, like steals the show. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, just little details like, um, and I don't know how much you know about Michael Bolton or anything or his music, but uh, one of the one of the little character details is that he has tattoos that say time, love and tenderness. And he's got time and love tattooed across his knuckles. Uh, and we never say where tenderness is, but oh, we all kind of know yeah. where tenderness is. Nice. So <laughs> um, so, no, I had fun. And I, so I've been working on it for like three years almost. A buddy of mine who's a writer and animation producer in L.A., um, I, I'll throw stuff back at him, back and forth. His name is Elliot. And, um, uh, it wasn't until a few months ago, thanks to, to, you know, wonderful Twitter. Um, I found an artist named Trevor Fraley, uh, out of New Jersey who, um, uh, is young, super talented, available. And I threw it at him and he's got a real animated style and he just knocked out of the park. And so, um, it just, it looks great. It's only 12 pages. So you kind of have to like hit the ground running with story, you know? And, um, but at this point I've been marinating it for like three years, you know? So, uh, um, the hope, you know, and obviously it's a comic book starring, Kenny G and Michael Bolton. I'm not going to be able to actually like publish this with the yeah. publisher without permission, but, um, I'm also, uh, we've got ideas for it for either more comics or if maybe doing an animation pitch. Um, if we, you know, and I've got another friend who works that that's an animation who's interested in it as a property. So nothing may happen. Nothing will probably happen, but just uh, in case. Yeah. yeah. It's, and it's, that'd be it, cool. Yeah. And it's just, it honestly, it's, 
I know that there are some people out there and, and I, I probably sound like a douchebag saying it, you know, cause there's usually like, you know, people are like, Oh, I wrote this night. I can't stand right. You know, reading my writing. I can't stand like actors can't stand watching themselves, you know, on their movies or whatever, because, you know, I love my writing. I think it's really funny, you know, so I'm, I'm already like a fan of this book. And so I'm really hoping we can kind of get it in some people's hands, you know, just it's a small little thing, but you know, I'm hoping, you know, most comic stuff, general public's not going to care about. But when you say Kenny G and Michael Bolton are secret agents in 1987, it's kind of got a hook. Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's maybe that's can maybe perk some ears. So I'm, I'm super excited about it. Yeah. I love it. I love the uh, concept behind it and like just kind of the, you know, the, uh, how they wouldn't normally go together, but it kind of works because, you know, it's kind of just quirky and it's its own thing. Yeah. And so, yeah, I definitely like that concept and it, the, yeah, the, the whole style of it and, and like all the illustrations. Awesome. And so I was glad I got to check that out. Um, it's funny. Kenny G has come up several times, like over the course of this podcast, oh, uh, yeah. uh, Mike Allen was the first ep- was on the first episode of the podcast and talked about being a huge fan of, uh, the Rippingtons. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that's where Kenny G got his start. And so, um, but he was a huge fan of like vaporwave and all that good stuff. Yeah. But, he, uh, yeah, it's just funny, like how, you know, I wouldn't think that maybe you guys would have a whole lot in common as far as like music taste, but here you guys are liking like a, the same thing. I mean, you like it now because you've been listening yeah. to it and like, it's all in your head now. So you're like, oh man, yeah, like, find yourself actually liking it. <laughs> the, the thing, if, if we do a cartoon, if, 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 you know, fate shines upon us, we're able to actually do something. Um, if you think about it, songbird is his like, you know the song everybody knows the Kenny G song if you speed it up it's an action theme oh yeah it could be like the Johnny Quest theme all the source materials right there within like the two artists themselves yeah yeah so you know I see stuff like that I'm just like yeah that could it would be a thing that could be a thing even if this only exists in my head it's it's that's good enough for me you know if it gets any further than that it's great but i'm like i'm just happy that like these i'm having fun with these ideas yeah and it's definitely the you know goes back to the medium because like no matter what your idea is or how ridiculous someone else would think it was it's like if it's your idea you can make it happen it could be whatever you want it to be and so it's just like the the limitless possibilities yeah and so i think it's awesome when people actually pursue those ideas that maybe someone's like maybe think wouldn't work but you know, whenever you have an idea like that and you just, there's always something in the back of your head that's like, no, there's something there. Like we can make this work or like this is going to be something. Yeah. And so, yeah, I really hope it takes off because it's like such a great concept and like has so much room to like grow. I think it would be really cool to see like all the themes from like the eighties coming in. And like my favorite thing about things like that is find trying to find like little, uh, like, uh, Easter eggs, mm-hmm. like, like you said, with like the the knuckle tattoos and all that, trying to pick up on like all those nuances and maybe things that like the artists will throw in or like the writers will throw in to see if like you even caught it. And so that's pretty cool. And something like that, especially, um, you know, whether it's animation, uh, comic books, whatever it is, uh, whenever you pick up on stuff like that, um, it kind of endears that thing to you because you feel like if you pick up on it, like that's there for you because like yeah. it was something that was important enough for you to like realize like, oh, okay, so you kind of attach yourself to it. Yeah. And so that kind of takes it to other levels. So I think it's, yeah, those, that's me geeking out a little bit about it, but that's <laughs> definitely what draws me into like things like that. 
Um, but kind of in that in that vein of nuance, um, another guest I had on the podcast is uh, Jackson Compton, mm-hmm. and so I'm sh- I'm sure you've heard of him, like doing like, you know, being like in the local comic game and everything. Yeah. But uh, one of the shows that he had tapped is like one of his favorite, like stylistically, was uh, actually the one that you said was Speed Racer, uh-huh. and so um, it's interesting to see that um, to see that one come up because. I guess it's kind of considered maybe like a throwback thing, but they brought it back with like the movie and everything, mm-hmm. which everyone kind of shit on the movie, but it's like, eh, I mean, the movie's fun. Like, you know what I mean? The movie's awesome. For what it was, it was fun. And like, if you like Emil Hirsch, he was like, he played like the main character and everything, yeah. but, uh, speed race. He played yeah. speed race. Yeah. Speed yeah. race. The main, if you didn't know the, <laughs> the main, main character, character speed, of, racer, speed, speed racer, racer, indeed. uh, spoiler <laughs> is actually uh, speed racer. <laughs> but, yeah. um, yeah, I liked seeing him in that role and I think it was interesting, but, uh, yeah, I just like that show stylistically because I remember, you know, just the transitions in between, like how outrageous they were. <laughs> just like it was almost like a uh, like a monster of the week type of thing. Like if you think of like Power Rangers, because it was really didn't deviate a whole lot because mm-hmm. like everything is, you know, there's a race. Oh, something happens. Oh, Speed Racer's not going to win. And then, you know, he pulls it out in the end. Some ridiculous uh, trick with like the Mach 5. Yeah. And uh, but then every little every. You know, every so often you get little bits of like uh, advancement in the plot, and you'd be like, "Oh, what's going on here?" Like it, it deviates because you're so used to like kind of that formulaic. Yeah. Um, that that's one of those things that kind of draws you into a show like that and keeps you watching because you're like, "Oh, like I want to get to that backstory of like his brother." Oh yeah. And so yeah. that was pretty cool. Um, well, and, but, and also I think every episode, every story was like two episodes. So there was always you know a, a good cliffhanger, you know, and. I think Jackson and I are probably roughly the same age, you know, so I just turned 47, you know, and, and so I think it's a definitely a generational thing, I think, cause that was one of the prime, you know, weekday cartoons growing up before you had cable, you know, before there was cartoon network when cartoons were either Saturday mornings or after school, you mm-hmm. know? And so speed race was pretty omnipresent, you know, I think with, with, guys you know and girls my age that you know then that was probably for most of us our first you know other than maybe godzilla you know um our first touch of like you know anything japanese and especially anything anime you know because that because it was really the only thing that kind of came over you know from that you know from that era yeah and i think it's just it follows a lot of those tropes too because like i said it's like the the uh monster of the week kind of formula because essentially the same thing happens every episode but uh just like the uh the drama of like when something happens like oh and it's just like all very exaggerated yeah Uh, i especially love the bumpers whenever it'd be like (laughs) and it's like a freeze frame of oh yeah of a speed racer and i'll just like shake my head like wow it's so ridiculous but it was awesome like people ate it up um was it just kind of a uh i guess you kind of answered this but is that kind of what endears it to you, like just by default because that's what's available, or was that something you know? Was there well I, other things you could have watched, but that you just kind of like hooked onto that one for whatever reason, or what? Yeah, I mean, it's because it's it's something where I mean, it's cool. It's it's a it's a cooler than shit. You know, looking just the I mean, like my uh, when I think my my oldest nephew, who's like working on his PhD now, but you know, when he was like two years old. Um, I bought him a, cause I had no idea. I didn't, I wasn't married, didn't have kids yet, you know, 
so you don't know what you don't know what kids play with. You know, you forget. <laughs> kids so, like so, this, right? So, yeah. So I, I found like this like Mach Five, and it was like, oh my god, this is so what? cool! It's amazing, and it was it was it was pretty. You know, it was about a foot long or so, because uh, this would have been you know like maybe like ninety eight or something like that. You know, um, and. <laughs> My my brother and my sister in law still make fun of me for it because like the Mach five is super sharp. Like this is not something you give a two year old unless you're an idiot who doesn't know what two year olds play with because he could have stabbed himself with this thing. So you know, but I'm like I'm just like this is cool. You know, I had like a you know there was there was kind of this because uh, that was like ten years before the movie came out. But mm-hmm. there was there was kind of a nineties. Uh, I really, I think sort of like just sort of like seventies nostalgia for Gen X kind of coming back when we started like getting jobs and making money so we could buy, you know, speed racer, you know, coffee mugs and and ball caps and things like that, you know? And so DVDs, you know, so, um, so yeah, I think, I think it is a case where, uh, our choices were limited back in the day when it was just, you know, four or five channels or whatever. Um, but it was cool. I mean, you know, it it just it you know it had a great music. It had just the primary colors, you know. And I think that's another thing that kind of clicks with me, uh, and especially like the the comic books that I would read when I was a kid. You know, I didn't like anything that was super like gray and dark, and you know, and I just loved anything that was like super duper poppy and and primary and you know Captain America, you know, red, white, and blue with a yellow background, just like you know punching a dude. And so you know that's. I think that kind of taps into that just the, the very how uh, just kind of on a design level, I think it was a very uh, simple and, you know, just very clean silhouettes and very, you know, kind of, you know, uh, and probably also with the storytelling, it was a very kind of like good and bad, black and white, you know, it uh, it just had, you know, just this this really great iconography that I can really think about and dissect as an adult, but as a kid, it's just like, that looks really cool. You know, that sounds fun. Um, and it's, you know, cool cars racing that have, it's a super powered car that can jump over things and make cool sounds when it jumps over stuff and it can shoot a little bird, you know, homing device out of it. You know, I mean, it's just, it can, it's got a, you know, the, you know, it can go underwater, yeah, the, you know, when it go, when, it, when the, you know, the, uh, uh, windshield becomes and the, when the windshield also can have like secret plans and invisible ink or whatever on it. So it's just nuts. It's fun. Yeah. I love that. And, um, I don't know, it kind of, it's the nature of the show, but it's one of those things like I've talked to friends about it and they're just like talking about how ridiculous it is that every week he would have like a new thing in the car that was like a new feature. Mm-hmm. And like, you realize it's like a cartoon, right? Like this is not <laughs> supposed to be like realistic, <laughs> but he just happens to have the exact thing he needs Absolutely. that episode for yeah. like whatever obstacle comes. It's like, dude, like it's a show. Like, come on. Like, of course he'll have that exact thing when he needs it. Like yeah. that's the nature of it. And so, uh, yeah, that was a, f- that was a really cool one to tap because I, like you said, stylistically, I really enjoyed that show, but I never thought about it because of it being just like the color popping on it. Cause if you think about that show and, uh, you know, just like the blues, the yellows, the reds, like it really stands out and it's like iconic, his look and everything, even mm-hmm. the car, like the, you know, the white with the red M like that's iconic. Yeah. And so I really like, um, like the, the concept behind it and like the idea of the show. But I think I got into it because it kind of came in a wave of like almost like a revival. I don't know if it was Toonami or who it was that did mm-hmm. it originally, but they brought the show back and they started showing it again whenever I was uh, 
you know, like a teenager. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, like, I kind of remember this growing up because it was be like on reruns or whatever, like on Boomerang or whatever. Yeah. Um, but then they started reviving some of these shows, and then like, you know, you're putting them back into syndication. Another one that I remember uh, was Thundercats, mm-hmm. and I really loved that show. And um, I was actually able to meet um, at this uh, convention called Geekonomicon that was in Oklahoma City a while back. Mm-hmm. I actually got to meet, um, and I can't remember his name. It's going to kill me, but um, one of the guys that got to do some of the original art on Thundercats. Oh, cool. And so it was really awesome. He had some, like, prints and everything of, like, original and then, like, some storyboards and stuff. I was just, like, geeking out hard. Like, wow, this is <laughs> awesome. Um, was that one that you were into? Uh, I think we talked, I don't know if we talked about that one specifically, but. Uh, I, I think I mentioned I, I was, that came out, that hit in the eighties, I think after I had, I had started high school. So I wasn't really into, I, I, I that, that whole generation kind of like the sort of like the mid late eighties cartoons and then stuff like power Rangers and stuff that came out, you know, that was like, like, like I, I, I watched a little bit of He-Man and then I kind of aged out of, you know, at least, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, getting more interested in girls than, you know, yeah. cartoons at that point. As um, you do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, I've got two kids, a 14 year old and a nine year old. And so, um, even though we've, we've cut cable, about a year ago or so um used to watch a lot of cartoon network and and so the, uh they had a uh a reboot basically a few years ago of thundercats which i now watched every episode and it was fantastic oh um, like a complete revival yeah yeah oh, okay i yeah. thought it was just like a i didn't know if it was the original that came back in but no I they I didn't had, realize yeah, it was like an actual revival oh yeah show. yeah i don't okay. know if it's I don't know if it's like streaming or anywhere or anything, but it's they. I think they did like twenty four episodes, and it was. I think it cost too much, and the numbers weren't there, and so they 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 didn't do more of it. Gosh. But it was really great, and it was it was serialized. They they really were telling a story, and it, and they kind of Lionel was sort of like a. It was almost kind of a Lion King kind of thing, where like his his father is is killed, and so he has to kind of prove himself, you know. And so it was a real coming of age of Lionel sort of. Uh, uh, structure. You kind of get more of that narrative. backstory about it. Yeah, yeah. It was it was very much in this ongoing narrative, and they had, for the most part, I think all the main characters from uh, the original. But it was just a really different dynamic with Lionel kind of being sort of like the annoying, you know, kid who doesn't have hasn't quite figured his stuff out. Yeah. Yet. Um, but I loved it, and it was it was really well done. The animation was really great. Um, uh, it was fun, you know, uh, it, it had great action and it just, and great design and it just, you know, didn't, didn't last, but Ugh, it was, it was good while, while it lasted. Yeah. It's cool to see, um, you know, not only like those older ones coming back, like into syndication or like getting put back on like late night blocks or whatever, but actual like, uh, revivals where people kind of delve a little bit into like the backstory behind some of these. Mm-hmm. Um, cause if you think about Thundercats, um, I don't remember like the first episode per se of Thundercats. I just remember always knowing like, Oh yeah, it's Lion O and like his people, like yeah. they're trying to beat this mummy guy. Yeah. <laughs> but if you think about it, it's like, it doesn't make any sense. Like yeah. why would I care about this guy? Like, I don't know anything about his like story or like his origin. So whenever you kind of like, I think it was kind of like what you said, people that grew up with it, maybe like they were aware of it or were a fan of it. Now they're getting to that point where, you know, maybe they were like, man, you know what? Why can't we flesh out that story a little bit more about, you know, kind of his origin, where he came from, this whole story behind, like, all the Thundercats and, like, why they're trying to, you know, defeat Mamra, things like that. Yeah. And so um, I remember that show specifically 
specifically because I thought Chitara was super hot. <laughs> and so I was, it's, it's like weird to think of Not as a untrue. concept. Not untrue. <laughs> and yeah, and, and I, I, think, I think also it's, it's sort of where as culture kind of grows and grows and grows, you know, back in the 80s, you didn't need backstory. You just had, you know, these like cat people with glowing swords and cool shit. <laughs> you just you know? accepted it. Yeah, yeah this is it, cool. <laughs> it, it, this, this doesn't need any other dynamics other than like, you know, super fun, you know, you know, action. And so, um, and I think that there's still, you know, opportunity for stuff like that that doesn't need to have a, a ton of story and a ton mm-hmm. of character development. But yeah, I do think that um, even with, uh, you know, essentially all ages properties like that these days, there's more of an expectation for, for that kind of storytelling for something that's deeper than just sort of, you know, kind of let's, let's go punch stuff and, you know, and wave around a giant magic sword or whatever. Yeah. And so it's just funny to think of conceptually because kind of going back, you know, talking about why should I care about this, you know, starting out in the middle of nowhere um, it's just that idea of like, I guess the maturity of like people wanting to see like that fleshed out. And so I don't know what it is that makes people want that. I don't know if it's just because of the way that everything is now, because we get all the backstory of like, you know, Batman becoming Batman or right. whatever right. it is getting fleshed out. Um, I think that's become the expectation. But to me, like I am, I'm a fan of it. And so to actually see it like, um, like taken and then like expanded upon. I think it's a really interesting thing. Um, and so I, I like seeing stuff like that. Um, one of the things, one of the other things you talked about being a fan of uh, was Robotech. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought that was an interesting one, especially because um, not a whole lot of people talk about it. Um, but because of the actual concept of it is how it's almost like an anthology because mm-hmm. the actual like three parts are not really sequential. They're kind of, their own thing, but they're kind of packaged as like a deal yeah. of like Robotech. Here's the Robotech series, but it's actually three different arcs. Yeah. And yeah. so, uh, when, when, when did you become aware of that one? Was that around the same time as like speed racer or speed racer was really seventies mm-hmm. and then star blazers and battle of the planets. Really? I loved star blazers. Uh, that was so great. Um, and, uh, and those, those kind of bled into the eighties. And then I want to say probably, like 84 is when Robotech came to the States. And since I'm a big comic book guy, uh, a now long um, since uh, uh, shut down uh, comic publisher called uh, Comico uh, got the license for it. And so they were doing adaptations of the episodes, but as monthly comics. And so they launched all three Robotech series all at once. Oh, okay, um, cool. So that was kind of interesting to like, you know, to get, get these comics that had these connections but like you know there was the the main one and there was i guess the next generation or something or something like that i know there, were, there was the three yeah it's like you a, know yeah. um and so it was, it was kind and then they were having to you know do you know monthly adaptations of shows that were on every day kind of thing so it was like you know when are they going to catch up you know kind of thing but um but yeah just the having that and that was a very i think you know, just the look of those characters. Uh, and again, I, I, I don't know a, a ton of, you know, just anime in general, but like the, uh, the main character of Robotech kind of having that like giant 
sharp hairdo that was like the giant sharp hairdo of like all main characters in yeah. in like it's a classic anime trope. anime yeah yeah, yeah. um and you know, super cool robot planes, you know, and stuff like that. And, and so it was almost kind of like taking, you know, some of the dramatic elements of, of with, you know, Star Blazers and really kind of taking it to this, you know, I guess sort of next level of storytelling. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, so it was, and that was, I, I think I was starting high school. Um, so I, I am, I think I even mentioned in the, the, Q and A that that we'd had um, that this was like a couple years before before we got a VCR. We didn't get yeah. a VCR until like nineteen eighty six, and so like I couldn't tape shows and watch them later. Uh, my kids have no idea what any of this means. You <laughs> tape know, they, it. Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. Why can't I? Is have it everything broken all the time? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so I would you know I would watch it whenever I could because uh, that was one of the uh, like late because it, it wasn't on like a, a cable. It, it was on you know, like the channel 25 or 34 or whatever, but it was on at like four in the afternoon, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd catch it whenever I could. Like rushing home to watch yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. That was the struggle of every, uh, one my age, like in middle school was trying to get home. And like the big show was Dragon Ball Z. Ah. And so everybody's like, Oh, I gotta get home and watch Dragon Ball Z. And then it's a filler <laughs> episode. And you're like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> or you get like some major cliffhanger on a Friday and you're like, God damn it. I waited. <laughs> I like rushed home for this. Like, I don't even, you guys didn't even give me anything. Like throw me a freaking bone. Um, yeah, kind of, it's interesting to see like those, um, you know, seemingly unrelated, uh, things packaged as like a, uh, here, this is all one thing, like under the Robotech umbrella, and uh, one of the things I can maybe liken it to a little bit is uh, a show called Gundam Wing, mm-hmm. or it's, it's Gundam is like the series, but there's Gundam Wing, G Gundam, there's different iterations of it, but it's kind of that same concept. So it's the same idea. So Gundams are like big mechs, and um, you know there's different iterations, there's like different timelines, mm-hmm. and so that's like the best way I could I could understand it because um, it's just funny to see because like. If you try to watch it as like a sequential series, you're like, what's going on? Like, it doesn't make <laughs> sense because it's like jumping all over timelines. And so that's an interesting thing to like keep in mind whenever you get marketed to as like an American, like not knowing yeah. <laughs> that there are like three different things in Japan. And so that's a funny thing to, to think about. Um, one of the movies that people <clears throat> that I think most guests have actually talked about um, is Akira. And yeah. you actually had a, an experience watching that in theaters when it came out, right? Yeah, it was uh, uh, spring break 1991, visiting my best friend um, who uh, was going to uni- University of Dallas. And I was at OU at the time. Uh, and I, I think it was the Inwood Theater. So it was like an art theater um, in Dallas. And uh, uh, went down there. And of course, this was 1991 Oklahoma City. Super sucks. There was nothing going on. There was no <laughs> culture. There was no life. There was nothing. And so Dallas was like, yeah, you know, there's that stuff going on here. And holy shit, this art theater is showing Akira. And so um, I convinced my buddy and one of his uh, friends from school uh, to come see it with me. I was like, oh, my God, it's awesome. Because I'd read I'd actually that that's a a manga that I I had read because Epic Comics, which was a um, uh, like a subdivision of Marvel, um, was uh, they were doing the first American translations for it. And it was just crazy gorgeous and detailed and just amazing and so uh watched it and watched the movie and it was wild uh it was it just amazing animation um you know uh didn't necessarily know everything that was going on you know but it was but it was just a, a just a visual feast 
And Greg, my best friend, was just like, that was a giant piece of shit. I hated that. <laughs> I was like, that was so cool. It was like, never take me to a movie again. So, <laughs> you know, uh, but I mean, I, you know, uh, when, when you were a, you know, a guy who likes comic books, Doctor Who and Rush in junior high and high school, you get used to not everybody liking yeah. the stuff that you like. Everyone. So downright kind of shitting on what you like yeah actually. yeah and so you, you have to get like a you know a thick skin about it you know and so that's why you know i i i generally tend to like the stuff that's not going to be the super mainstream stuff and and i'm okay with that and then but then if i like something and then it gets super uh popular um I still like it, you know, because that's like, like yeah. you know, hey, I wanted everybody to like this and everybody likes and it, it. I'm cool with it, yeah. you know. Um, so I'm not I'm not one of those people. It's like, oh, it was they, you know, they were better before they sold out. That is people, the stupidest thing. Like when people are like that, I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, do you not want the thing that you care about to be successful? Yeah. Like, what do you just because it's like everybody knows about it now? It's not like your thing, like the thing when people say they discovered Right. A band, and I'm like, what? They've been. Everyone had equal access. What do yeah. you mean? Like yeah. you discovered them? Yeah. On, on on the list of songs that I gave you, one of them is actually a band I am desperate for millions of people to know about, and they don't yet. And so, you know, I I want I want them to be huge, but I I have a very specific relationship with them right now. So. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So you know, as someone you said, you read the manga of it yeah. of Akira. Um. Going back to that. Um. One thing that I like to talk to people about specifically when they you know talk about what reading the manga versus watching the anime is kind of the adaptation like do you feel like that was a really good adaptation of the manga did you read the entire series or how do you think that was like adapted to like an actual animation and to like a runtime of like an actual movie um i think at the time uh they hadn't yet finished the series oh that, okay because it, it was so it was essentially a case where i think i'd read probably about half or two-thirds of it and then saw the movie um and i thought that i mean the just the animation they they really captured the style and they really captured the look of it um uh and so you know from that respect you know i, I thought it was really successful i thought it was it was it, it was uh uh, one of one of the only times I thought where it really kind of looked like they took what was on the page and, and gave it. it life on screen. Yeah, I love that. I love that whenever it stays true. But it's like one of those tough things because, you know, of course, they're not going to be able to put every single detail in a movie sure. whenever, it, you know, it's a series. It's however long. Um, but that's something we talk about, like uh, me and my guests talk about quite a bit on the show is um, the idea behind adapting maybe anime series or or manga into live action movies. And so Akira is one that they're actually trying to make a live action movie. I've of. heard about that, yeah. And yeah. so I'm interested to see how that ends up turning out because, you know, as we've seen with like Dragon Ball Evolution and uh and uh, Avatar the Last Airbender, mm-hmm. um, a lot of them haven't done well as like live action movies. And so I don't know, do you have any thoughts behind like that as a live action or do you just kinda want are you just wanting to see it and see what happens? You know, it's I think it really comes down to, uh, is it going to be good? I mean, yeah, it is, are, is, is it going to tell, cause that's just a kind of a tangent, like the Watchmen movie. Yeah. Uh, I saw the Watchmen movie and, you know, I read the Watchmen when it was coming out as an actual 
single issue series for 12 issues over the course of like a month, a year and a half, you know, back in 85, 86 when that was coming out. Um, and so I'd read that I'd read it a ton of times, a ton of times. And so I watched this movie and it's, it's like, I kind of enjoyed it as sort of like a, here's sort of the greatest hits of Watchmen in two hours. And Zack Snyder was so devoted to the staging of it that it was almost sort of like, here's, here's the sequence and that's the storyboards for how we're going to do this. So I kind of appreciated it that way. But I was thinking through it. I was like, I don't know if anybody who hasn't read the book has any idea what's going on because they took this 12, you know, issue thing, squeezed it into this sort of greatest hits two hours. I don't know if it really holds together as a narrative. I can't watch this as its own thing because I know the story so well. I'm, I'm mentally filling in the blanks. And, I, and the, if the people who don't have those, you know, the material to fill in the yeah, blanks. I was really curious, are they experiencing this as a story? I, I don't know. And so really, I think it's a matter of with anything like Akira um, or anything for that matter that has, you know, a, has, was, has been done so well in another medium, be it comics, be it animation, you know, um, it's really about, you know, are, you know, is, is it a good, is this two hour version of it a good story? Does it tell, does it have a great structure to it? Is it well-written? Are the characters fleshed out? Does it have kind of its own point of view? You know, because it's, you know, whether that's good or terrible, the original stuff's still going to be there, you know? Um, And so can this thing exist as, as its own thing? And can somebody like, you know, my wife, who's not familiar with any of this stuff, go and see it and enjoy this two hour experience without having to Wikipedia, you know, yeah, everything not, not having that like prior knowledge or like yeah. the backstory to kind of fill in those blanks, like you were saying. Yeah. So I, so I think it's really a matter of can whoever is, is doing this adaptation, um, uh, really find the bones of the story and yeah. find the driving, uh, um, just thought behind it. And can they, convey that in uh, a really unique way in in live action yeah I'm, I'm definitely geeked about it so if it ends up happening i mean i don't know if it's like confirmed or if it's just people are like talking about it if it's getting buzz or whatever but i would love to see it happen um but it's one of those things like there's always going to be the people that kind of shit on it just because it's like well they didn't put this specific detail in so the whole thing's invalid and it's like god damn can y'all be happy with anything no those are the kind of people that are (laughs) never happy with something and it's like you know uh casey mcelroy that was on another episode was talking about uh uh harry potter specifically as an example and it's like oh one of the there was three chapters on this person doing the specific thing, but because it wasn't translated into the movie, like I didn't like the movie and it's like, people are, get so dumb with things like that. And it's like, why does it have to be that exact thing that you think it is for it to be successful? And so it's like one of those things that I kind of, I guess it kind of goes into like the subjectivity of like what someone thinks is important versus what actually advances the plot or is like integral to the story. Um, because of course, like we were saying earlier, like different things stick out to different people. And so people kind of latch onto those things. And when it doesn't happen, they're like, you know, they get disappointed. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you just went into it with like an open mind, you're like, dude, like this is a good adaptation of it. Like it's hard to do something with a ton of source material like Akira 
and have like every single detail like in the movie like it's just it's an impossibility like yeah. it'd be it's, like an eight a, hour movie right it's it's kind of almost kind of doomed to fail in a way and so so that's all it's almost a lot why i you know i'd almost rather have something like you know pacific rim you know which is a whole a different thing but it's like that's at least this unique original thing and um you know so so people can go into it just to experience this original thing rather than it trying to and you can see where its influences are but it's not trying to be this it's not trying to yeah. be that and so you know you can actually and, and sometimes i think that's one of the big drawbacks to kind of a culture of reboots and a culture of franchises and shared universes and everything that you know there's there's not as much uh in the way of of unique stuff you know and uh i think i think it actually was a manga i don't, I don't know if it was an anime or not but i think the movie um edge of tomorrow yeah the tom cruise movie yeah, yeah i think i think that was a manga huh i don't uh, know because the original title was uh all you need is kill um and i never i'd never seen the manga um a, a friend of mine was is a storyboard artist and he he worked on the movie and um uh and like, i loved that movie and so that's the i think that's an uh and something where they took something that had this, you know, this, but I, but I think, I guess it was probably so obscure in the States as, yeah. as a property, you know, um, that, that they were able to really create something that for me was not like, it was like original I'd ever seen. Yeah. 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 Um, and so well done. And I think that's the case. Like if, if a Doug Lyman, the director, you know, uh, uh, could do, uh, could do Akira and with really great, you know, um, uh, screenwriters and a really great cast, you know, um, yeah, I could see something like that, that happening if they, if they could, you know, just have, have that unique way that, that, that we're doing something that, that can only exist in this live action format that we're not just sort of like throwing a bunch of CGI on something that could very well be animated. Yeah, I like that you tapped uh, Pacific Rim because I was a big fan of that movie when it came mm-hmm. out. Um, a lot of nods to like Gundam, uh, a lot of nods to, like you know the classic like Godzilla, like yep. uh, kaiju uh, things like that, like throwback stuff. And so you could, it's kind of like what you said. It's a completely like new thing. It's its own thing, like a, an original story and everything. Um, but you can definitely see like the the heavy influences, you know, kind of if you know. You know, if you're aware of like anime or like mm-hmm. whatever you watch, um, you could kind of see those things like influenced in it. Yeah. And so yeah. I, th- I really like that. Um, so you were talking about earlier about being a fan of things that like maybe weren't like the cool thing. And for some reason, I, th- I agree with you, especially like uh, for bands like Rush that always get like shit on. <laughs> um, like I don't get the hate for, for like bands like that because like literally every member of that band's a virtuoso. Yeah, because it's like, you know, Neil Peart like tearing up, and then Alex just like killing. Like, literally, everyone's a master in their craft in that band. Yeah, and so I'm like, where does the hate for that come in? Because like those guys are the shit. Yeah, it's well, and that was funny because you know I I didn't get into them until right before high school, like eighth grade maybe or eighth, eighth ninth grade, um, and that was eighty four, eighty five. So like their seventy stuff was like the you know um, super duper. 
you know, classic prog rock and, you know, songs about stuff from Lord of the Rings and, <laughs> you know, a, a, you know, sci-fi, you know, concept album and all that stuff. And I didn't really click with them until Power Windows, which was their 85 album. And they were like super synthy uh, at the time. And so in high school, there was this faction in in those who liked Rush of the the ones who like only liked the pure seventies oh, rock man, rush, yeah. <laughs> and then you know, and they and gotcha. they just they can't stand this you know synthy stuff. And I was like, I was I liked all of it, but I really liked the synthy stuff, you know. Um, and and I'll I'll admit, you know, Getty Lee has a voice that not everybody's going to click with. You know, it's yeah. fine. It's fine. It's a little bit it's, of a whale, isn't it? it? Yeah, it, it's, it's, he's, he's got, he's <laughs> kind of singing through his nose a lot of the time. But no one know? else sounds like that guy. No, no. Uh, the, 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 actually, what, there's a, there's a band. Um, it's not, uh, it's not Metric, because that's a female singer. Um, uh, there's a band on the spy that um, they uh, occasionally play that'll come to me. That The dude kind of has a sort of Getty Lee kind of sound to him. So, uh, but Ferris would never play Rush on the spy. Um <laughs> So sucker, but, um, but yeah, it's, you know, uh, and I think that's another example of something that maybe they were kind of considered, they were, you know, nerds like them, you know, because, you know, honestly, if, if you were into, you know, uh, Motley Crue in 1985, you know, you weren't reading Lord of the Rings, you know, but the dudes who yeah. were reading Lord of the Rings, they were in a rush, you know. So so I think they're they're kind of like almost sort of like perfectly programmed for the comic book nerds, for the Doctor Who it's nerds. Like right in know? their wheelhouse. Yeah. And so um so I think that's a thing where they, you know, survive for so long that yeah, almost kind of like in a different way of like Kenny G and Michael Bolton. Um, <laughs> I would say Rush is, is higher on the musical pantheon than those guys. But, um, you know, even people who didn't like them, you know, 30 years ago uh, have to give it up that they, you know, they maintained for 40 years and developed this huge fan base and just you know, just, just survived and, and, you know, and kept, kept going. Um, and so I think that's, you know, it's, it's a thing where sometimes you just have to live long enough to, to get the respect that, you know, eluded you when, you know, um, uh, when you were a cult thing. Yeah. It was, a the interesting thing about them is like, a I think it was, is a Neil Peart that writes all their music? Yeah. Yeah. And so he's just like a quiet guy. And he just started writing for them. And it's like, he's a fan. He just reads all the time. Mm -hmm. So like all their, like their lyrics are, you know, introspective and like real, you know, literate. Yeah. Like the guy is one of the most literate people to ever write music. Yeah. And so it's just interesting to think about, like, he was probably just like influenced from shit that he was reading. Just, he's probably a fan of like Lord of the Rings reading all that stuff. Oh yeah. And so it's just, uh, you know, to see people gravitate towards it just like organically like that, it's, just like a testament to like the writing and like the longevity of how long they've been able to last, you know, cause I mean, they've been, and they, do they still tour? I mean, they were just on tour when I was in college. Yeah. I think they, um, <laughs> uh, I, th- I think because of some health issues and things like that, I think that they've actually stopped touring. I mean, oh, okay. they, they, they played Tulsa a couple of years ago and yeah. that was maybe their last and their last leg. Um, so, uh, so I'm pretty sure that they've maybe, kind of finished up up, but but they you know they went for a while yeah so i kind of agree with you on the fact that it was like there's definitely people that you know specifically with rush you said 
that are fans of like the early stuff and then you know after a certain point there's like a cutoff and then if you like anything after that then you're wrong type right. of thing um i get that a lot. i mean i think i think anybody gets that with any band that they like but my favorite band is kings of leon mm-hmm. and um i actually just saw them recently yeah, i was there too oh were yeah. you yeah last, nice. last wednesday yeah awesome. uh yeah it was i mean great show um and i've seen them like i think six times now but they definitely have that style to where it's you know it started out like garage rock almost um very like trebly very like a uh, repetitive uh almost like punk style but now if you listen to like their newest album it's like night and day mm-hmm. but i'm not someone that's like I, this is the cutoff point everything after that i don't like it it's like man i just like all that shit mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. those are my guys so yeah. it's like to me it's fun to see the progression and just like in, in anything like not music specifically in any facet of life if you're saying the same then it's like what's even the point if you're not progressing yeah if you're not getting better if you're not changing then what's the point of just staying stagnant and doing the same thing for the rest of your life like that'd be fine there'd be people that would listen to that but it would only be those people like you would never reach a different audience because you'd always do that like you you almost get put in a box um like oh that's the thing they do and so then that's like the cutoff like you never reach anyone else outside of that 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 scope yeah and so i love seeing that in any facet of media whether it's you know artists musicians uh, illustrators animators um i love seeing that progression and i just kind of nerd out to that because it's like cool to see where they started and where like where they've ended up mm-hmm. and so yeah I'm, a, I'm definitely a fanboy. i can't help it like those are my guys like <laughs> if you don't like them you suck so whatever yeah no that's awesome and, and that's then <laughs> they're a band where i didn't I, I i'd heard of them but it wasn't until sex on fire when i was like oh man i, I love that song and and i got into them and and so and i and i'll admit i like their kind of more sort of like stadium anthem stuff, yeah. you know, more than the, I like the earlier stuff, but I, but I, but there's something about kind of the, you know, kind of the bigger sound that they do now that c- clicks with my tastes a little bit more, yeah. you know? So, yeah, definitely. Some of their stuff is like more anthemic, more like a little bit more a- atmospheric. Maybe it's mm-hmm. just like real grandiose. Yeah. I'm like, especially when it hits the chorus, like it's real big. Yeah. Uh, and they have a very dynamic bassist, um, well, listen, I could harp on Kingsley on the whole time, so we better move on. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, so one of the ones that you talked about, um, liking, it kind of goes from one spe- one of the spectrum to the other is Arcade Fire. And actually yeah. been a- haven't been able to see them in concert, but I hear they are like just killer live. Oh, man. I just, it was just a couple weeks ago. Oh, we went down to Dallas to see him and it was phenomenal. Oh and yeah. I, I know people, yeah. a couple of people went to that show. Yeah. And I, uh, uh, and I have all their albums. Um, uh, and I'll admit reflector their last one before everything. Now I was kind of cold on it really didn't fully click with me. Um, but no, they put on, it was phenomenal. I mean, there were eight to nine people on stage at, at all, you know, uh, throughout the whole thing at the end of the show, uh, a band called Wolf, Wolf Parade opened up for them. They came out and so they're like 12 or 13 people on stage, just finishing, um, uh, the show. Um, and no, they, and they've, that's their, you know, you can, it's one of those things where they're like putting everything into it. You can just, you can just feel like they are there to perform for two hours and just give it their all. Uh, and there's this really great, uh, 
just light show and, you know, and video stuff. And, um, it was, you know, it was in the rounds. So it was, a, it was a really great way of, you know, uh, they're not just kind of like, you know, there were no bad seats basically in the American Airlines Center, you know, uh, God, I would love just, I'd, I'd see him again tomorrow night. If I could, <laughs> I mean, they were, you know, it was just like, it was, it was emotional. It was just like, just this, this soaring thing, you know, um, so good, so good. It was, it was, I was super impressed. Yeah. Well, it's bands like that, that you are just so invested in that you like, it's like, you just, it's an experience, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're not just going yeah. to just hear the songs, but it's just like, it's like a religious experience, literally. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's absolutely. the best way I can describe it. The first time I heard Kings of Leon live was 2009, um, only by the night tour. So that's mm-hmm. the, that's the album that Sex on Fire and yeah. You Somebody is on. But just that the first few notes of like use somebody like in that huge stadium, I was like, geez, I felt like I like lost all the air in my lungs. I was yeah. like, wow, like yeah. this is incredible. And so for something like that, for like music that means so much to you to hear it live, it's just, I mean, I don't know if there is any experience that can come close to that or it, it's just hard to put into words almost. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I, I honestly, I think you know, I'm I'm Catholic, but I I I feel the presence of God much more, you know, in uh, you know, seeing my favorite band than in any music, however nice I'd hear in church. But it's just you know, kind of that same old thing. Whereas something that just sort of like it just it just taps into that thing, you know, that that part of you, and and you're there, and especially if you're there and you're not like trying to record it or do a you know. I'd, if you're present, yeah, yeah. If if you if you have 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 got your phone in your pocket and you're just you're just living that moment with that artist or those artists, you know, there's just something about that when it when it all comes together. It's it's you know it's for me that's it's anything you know whether that's music or movies or you know um, art or or comics or reading you know writing or any of the stuff, you know, um, to kind of have that kind of communal experience with somebody creating a thing, you know, that's what I love about, that's what I love about being somebody who creates things and then being able to experience those things in that way. Yeah, definitely, man. I, it's just a different experience and it's crazy, but one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was, um, something that stuck out to me about what you talked about as far as like your taste in music and one thing you tapped specifically is said, your heart will always belong to Janet Jackson. <laughs> I love Janet Jackson. Uh-huh. I remember listening to that. Um, my brother would always listen to like slow, like Sunday night slow jams or whatever. Yep. And they'd play uh, Janet Jackson. And it's crazy to hear songs from that time and then they get sampled or like reused. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know how many times I heard um, Poetic Justice by Kendrick Lamar Mm -hmm. and didn't realize that was like a sample of like a 90s song. And I'm like, how did I not pick that up? Like I've heard that song a million times and like, I don't even like realize that that was like a sample of that. So I love, especially innovators like her, like she's always, I feel like she's always going to be relevant, but I think I'm a little biased just like you are. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I, she was, I just, there was just a, a question on Twitter. Somebody was like, said, list your five first celebrity crushes. And she was one of them. And so, and that was when, when I was, you know, eight years old, nine years old watching good times. And she was on good times and she was like, you know, I think she's maybe about five years older than me, you know? So, um, so maybe I was a little bit younger, but, uh, so she was like 12, 13 years old on good times. 
uh, you know, and then she was on different strokes and then she, you know, kind of started doing her own thing. And, um, uh, uh, and I, I saw her in concert at the Myriad during the Rhythm Nation tour oh, okay. in 1990. Um, and it was, it was just, you know, uh, super choreography. Oh yeah. You know, just, just great. You it was know. a Jackson production. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it actually, it was the first concert I went to that had credits at the end. Oh, what? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, cause usually, you know, uh, concerts over head home, whatever, but no, the, she leaves the stage, the dancers leave the stage, and then all these like roll movies, credits, like roll the credits. <laughs> it, was, it was great. But How no, interesting! Wow. Well, yeah, I just, I she's she's always you know um, uh, just beautiful and cool. And, she's fine as hell. Yeah. I mean, I have to, yeah. and she still is too. Yeah. So I'm like, geez, yeah, Janet, finally aged like wine. Yeah, Roman if you Janet. hear, if you hear Janet, if you <laughs> if you listen to Tunes podcast, uh, Brian's. <laughs> professing his undying love for you right now so sure (laughs) (laughs) uh so one of the local bands that you talked about um being a fan of and i think it was kind of the one you tapped earlier that you're hoping that maybe more people uh would listen to and hear about um saint loretto yeah yeah that's evan crowley okay we went to uco together cool, cool. (laughs) and so he's a really cool guy he actually let me use uh that song that you talked about manchester 1984 he actually let me use that as a, uh, like the actual music in a, a final project of mine, like a video oh, project at UCO. And it was when that song first came out, I was just like, this song's pretty sick. Like, yeah. I like that song. And then, uh, yeah, I was able to use that, like, when it, he first wrote it and, like, put it wow. out, like, as a, uh, in my awful, awful video final project. <laughs> but at least I had good music. Sure. Uh, yeah. What's something that kind of draws, like, you to that band and is it just because evan's like an endearing guy or what well i you know i i I haven't met him i i saw him at the the oklahoma gazette like best of party oh okay i was like oh because i'd just seen him in the video in his videos yeah um and uh i was like i think that's the saint loretto guy and um and because i'm a, a huge fan of the spy um you know and i've been a fan of the spy for 25 years almost as long as it's been around you know and um uh just hearing it on there and just, just, and then discovering, Hey, that's, that's actually a local band. You know, it just has that, you know, uh, a sound that just sounds big. It just, it's, it's, it's like this, this has got a hell of a hook. I, I love anything. I'm, you know, my sweet spot is, you know, eighties, early nineties, you know, modern rock, college rock, postmodern, alternative, whatever, you know? Um, and so it's, it's just has, you know, just that, you know, that great sound and, and, you know, that song specifically. And then, you know, the, the other stuff that I've heard from them, you know, it's just, it's, it's kind of got, it's got a foot in, in that sound, but it also sounds really fresh and it sounds, it sounds really now. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so no, and I've been especially again, kind of, you know, not harping on it or anything, but you know, I graduated college 25 years ago and it sucked here and there was nothing here to, you know, keep anybody, you know? Um, and so that's why I appreciate what we have now and the creative culture that we have here and especially the music scene, so many great bands, so many diverse bands. Um, and so any, you know, anybody who's doing something that really just, they, then they, they, they create a new sound or they create something that's got just that hook to it, that like sort of like 
perfect pop moment, you know, um, I just love it. And so, so that's why, you know, I, whenever we can for hideaway pizza, you know, our, our biggest client, we, um, license a song from a local band for the, for the campaign. So these spots that are, you know, running for that, you know, for fried mushrooms and, you know, um, the hideaway special and stuff like that. Um, it's, it's got a, you know, this cool synth track from a local band and, you know, we were able to give them some exposure and a little bit of money and they, you know, and we were able to put something in a, in a substantial, you know, campaign that wasn't just like the stock library music and it wasn't, you know, paying, an exorbitant amount of money for an actual, like, you know, big pop song or something like that. This was, we really want to invest in the community, you know, and cause the, the more cool in whatever you do creatively, the more cool stuff that happens, the more cool stuff happens after that because people expect it and, mm-hmm. and, and it inspires more things. And so that's why, you know, hearing a band like St. Loretto, it's just like, they're right in my wheelhouse, you know, and, um, uh, you know, and I love hearing sounds like that, you know, uh, from, from, from local guys and gals. It's just, it's, that stuff just excites me. Yeah, definitely. And it was cool to hear, uh, I actually went to hideaway with my wife and a friend of mine, uh, I think last week and they played that song on hideaway radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I was like, that's, Oh shit. <laughs> with the spy. Yeah. That's, and so I, I text, uh, I text everyone. I was like, dude, you're on in hideaway right now. Yeah. Hideaway pizza radio. That's, that's one of the big things we've done this year was with the spy and hideaway. Um, we've created this, this hideaway only radio station. And so it plays a lot of spy stuff, a lot of, a lot of more than spy stuff. They'll play some 70s stuff. They'll play some, uh, uh, you know, kind of some soul and some, uh, uh, it's like uh, a disco, good mix of everything. Like yeah. 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 It's just, just fun pizza party music. Basically. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I think, like you said, I think you nailed it. Um, people doing like these awesome things around the city have kind of elevated Oklahoma city to like that, you know, the level of like a, a, a place people want to be like a destination. Mm-hmm. Um, can you kind of talk about that? Like, uh, I mean, you've talked about how there's like nothing to do back in the, like the nineties, yeah. um, kind of that progression to where we are now, like how, just like your perspective and like where you see us going? Well, I mean, uh, graduated 92. Um, I wound up, uh, <laughs> you know, I thought, I thought, I thought Oklahoma city was, I, I, it, I thought it sucked. Um, but then in 1993, I moved to Lubbock, Texas and I realized, Hey, Oklahoma, Oklahoma city is not, not so, so bad, bad after all. <laughs> so spent about a year in Lubbock, Texas uh, haven't been back. Um, and while I was gone is when they had the maps vote. Oh, okay. And so, um, when I came back, they hadn't really done anything with it yet, but just seeing this investment in the infrastructure investment in the urban core, um, you know, uh, a, that, you know, kind of making up for the sins of 1970s urban renewal where they, tore down so much of the old downtown and replaced it with just like concrete buildings and parking lots, you know? Um, uh, and just the, I think the thing that excites me most, you know, the various things went into it. It was maps, you know, Thunder definitely kind of put, you know, they, they, things were really happening and really happening. And then Thunder's like, you know, kind of like hit the nitro, you know, with it. Um, but the thing that excites me most is that, 
uh, we're not trying to be something we're not. We're not trying to be um, we're, just we're, like, yeah. Yeah, we're, you know, for, for the longest time, and that was the thing. It's like, you know, Dallas was, you know, the closest, you know, big metropolitan area. That's where a lot of people went to, you know, find jobs after school. Um, you know, that's where, you know, you went down for a weekend of shopping and culture and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think what I love about Oklahoma City is that we are becoming something that is naturally us. And and uh, a writer, Sam Anderson, wrote an article about Kevin Durant, for the most part, uh, years ago in, I think, The New Yorker. Um, and he came here and it was great because he was one of the few national New York based media to come in and not be like super condescending and super like whatever. Uh, he came in and he really like just absorbed the city and he absorbed the state and he loved it. And, and he said something like Oklahoma is a, uh, uh, 20 car pileup of culture. Uh, he might've said 30, it was some amount of cars. <laughs> um, but he basically compared it to like how we're tornado alley because we have these like different pressure systems kind of converging in the great plains and smacking around and creating tornadoes. And he said, that's kind of what the culture is like here. And I love that wow, because that's really eloquent. yeah. And it's, I love it. I even stole it for a KOS for a, for a KOSU, um, campaign a couple of years ago when we did crazy smart radio, I, by one of the headlines was, you know, 30 car pile of culture, whatever the cars were. Um, but I, but cause whenever I try and explain it to people, it's like, cause most people, if anybody thinks of Oklahoma city or, or back in the day when nobody thought about Oklahoma city, but if you did, it was like, Oh, it was like Cowtown or whatever, you know? Um, and so we are legitimately Toby Keith, but we're also legitimately the Flaming Lips. You know, both are representative of of local culture, and they couldn't be farther apart. You know, but um, but that's what makes it interesting, I think. You know, and I also I also think just from a creative standpoint, the political culture that we've had for so long, the religious culture that we've had for so long, um, is very you know, conservative presence, I think pushing back on that creates really unique, weird things, <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's definitely part of me. Cause I moved here when I was five years old from St. Louis, huge Catholic family in St. Louis and, and, um, you know, family moves here. Uh, and so I always, I, and it was a weird thing where like I came here. So I was kind of an outsider here. Then we'd always went back to St. Louis for vacation a week during summer, a week during Christmas, and I'd go back to Oklahoma, I'd go back to St. Louis, and I was the the Okie, so I was the outsider there too. Yeah. So, um, and I think that, especially if you were somebody who's sort of creatively wired, uh, you kind of feed on that in a way, um, and so that's what's I think you know. And then, of course, you know, live growing up in Bethany, Oklahoma, when all the Baptist and Nazarene kids told me I was going to hell for being Catholic when I was in, <laughs> you know, fifth grade, Jesus. you know, helps, helps to create, you know, this sort of like, you know, sense of like creating things to push back, creating things to push the boundaries and, and test the edges of things, you know? Um, and so we don't live in, in a bubble. We have to be, you know, intellectually honest, you know, cause we we're not, we find our people, but at the same time, you know, we can't shut out, you know, 
others. And so, so I think that, that gives our creative culture a really unique voice, an opportunity for a unique voice. Um, uh, and so, no, I just, I, and, and that's what I love about what we do at Robot House and being able to work with um, bars and restaurants. And, you know, those are the ones that the, most people see, you know, out of our clients. Um, but just being able to create cool iconography for the city, you know, and cool new stories for, for places um, uh, that couldn't have existed five, 10 years ago, 20, 25 years ago, dear God, not, not at all, yeah. you know, when, you know, it was Garfield's was like the, you know, the only local My restaurant. God, I forgot about Garfield's. Yeah, it was Garfield's Holy and shit. Garfield's and, and Blockbuster was a, was a Friday Jeez. night. So, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I just so, got, yeah, I yeah, just got so, nostalgic hard. Yeah. Wow. So I can't take it. I, I can't take for granted, you know, the districts, the events, the magazines, all this, all, you know, the, the, the stuff, sometimes it's like, kind of feels like too much, too much. Everybody's a district. Everybody's got a new magazine. Everybody's got a big event going on, but hell there used to be nothing. Uh, you yeah, know? This and is so, awesome. yeah. Yeah. And, and of course now I, I, you know, live in the suburbs with two kids and, you know, and don't get to experience this stuff, you know, as much. Um, but I love that it's here and I love, and, and in terms of where it's going, you know, um, I, I think that, I think that we're, we're getting used to these kinds of things. So I, so it feels like there's going to be just more and more, I think, so long as people support it. And I, and I think, but I think there, and a, a big part is most of the, my friends that I went to college with left, you know, and they're all over the States, you know, and so it's great to like go visit them and occasionally they'll come back here, visit family and whatever. Um, but there's a lost generations of people that just didn't have anything that kept them here. And now I love going out and seeing all the people in their twenties and thirties, you know, who are finding a life here, who are, who don't feel like they have to leave to, to do something, to do what they love, you know? Um, and, and I think that speaks the most about where we're going and what's next is that, uh, generations are coming up and they're not feeling this pressure that I did and everybody I knew did that if you want to make something of yourself, you got to leave. And if somebody does leave, then God bless them, then good luck and, and, you know, and take, you know, our spirit with you, but, but you don't have to, you know, yeah. you don't have to just to be successful type yeah. of thing. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of people leave and come back and not because they didn't make it, but it was just like, there's just some endearing thing, you know, that, mm-hmm. They're like, man, I just missed it. Like, it's it's my home. Like, yeah. <laughs> no matter where they end up, Oklahoma's always home. Yeah. And so I love that mindset. And I love the fact that everything, you know, there there's so much going on, like you said, almost where it's like too much. Like, geez, there's something going on like every weekend. Yeah. And so um, it's exciting. And, and it's an exciting time. It's like an, a renaissance in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, well, Brian, thanks for coming out, man. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Why don't you uh, tell everybody where they can find you, like on social media, like uh, where they can keep up with your projects, things like that. Sure, yeah. Um, my personal uh, Twitter and Instagram, I don't do a lot of Instagramming, I'm mostly on Twitter, is Winkler Comics. And that's two E's in Winkler. It's, it's tough to, it's easy to misspell. It's Wink, E-L-E-R, Comics. Um, and I'm working on a, the actual website for winklercomics.com. So hopefully in, in a couple, three weeks, that'll be up with, uh, my comics work and some other stuff. Um, uh, 
launching a couple new comics at, uh, at wizard world. And my nine year old wrote a book called, he wrote a story called December, the powerful, uh, and I illustrated it. We're actually printing that as a little manga sized, uh, storybook. So it's nice. not necessarily a comic, but it'll be like a page of, you know, story and a, and a digital illustration that I did. And so he's super excited about that. So we're going to be promoting that, uh, for the next little while too. Yeah. That'll be cool, man. Uh, again, you can follow us on social media as well. Uh, that's tunes podcast, T U N E S slash T O O N S. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. You can listen to us on Google Play, iTunes, anywhere you listen to your podcasts. And yeah, thanks again for coming out, Brian. Thanks a lot.